Hey, what's going on, everybody? Adam here from AA for Entrepreneurs. So Andrew is on a four-day trek right now through the mountains in uh, either Vermont or northern Massachusetts. I forget, or western Massachusetts. That's not important. But what is important is I had a guest for tonight and completely forgot that Andrew was leaving. Like We, we had everything else already all figured out for the whole day. Uh, for when he's gone, so everything's all set, and I, I somehow I dropped the ball and just forgot that we do a podcast on Thursday evenings, and Andrew won't be here. So we're doing something very special for y'all. We have a never before seen uh, panel that was at Freedom Rally in Boston, which, if you don't know, this is the second biggest cannabis event in the U.S. Only to Seattle Hemp Fest used to be called Hemp Fest in Boston, but. Seattle Hemp Fest trademarked it, and there goes that name. So now it is the Freedom Rally. So make sure you guys check this out. Comment still. I'll be watching the comments. So uh, if you'd like to learn anything about growing, we got some heavy hitters on here. We got Danny Danko. Uh, we have a gentleman named Chris, I believe, who came up with a cultivar himself that's really famous. Uh, you'll hear about that on there. And Andrew's on there with, uh, with me. And we absolutely had just an amazing panel at Freedom Rally. So enjoy. Please comment. Let me know if you have any questions. Peace. How are y'all doing out there, though? Y'all having a good time at Freedom Rally? Wow, really? Y'all asleep? <laughs> Woo! Yeah, get some energy, yeah. y'all. Come on. I know we're all a little stony baloney, but it's all good. Hello, hello. All right, so let's get this panel started about the art of cultivation. Uh, I am not really moderating it, but I want to know where do we start with cultivation? What's the art of cultivation? Where do we begin? What should people know? Uh, I think the first thing is why yeah, why you should even grow, I guess, is, is because that's the best way to know what's in the product yep. right and to know the quality uh and if you grow your own you're automatically gonna you know if you know what you're doing you're gonna get a better product than you can buy at a dispensary yep. uh automatically and you're gonna know everything that went into it you're gonna know what strain it is whether there was pesticides used all that stuff that they do lab testing for you already know for sure because you did it yourself and it's fun I guess I guess we should do intros too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry. I apologize right. because I had to go through the sound set. Um, so please, we that's where we were. We were at number two before the sound went off. Please, number two, tell me who are. Yeah, please. I apologize. It's the sound system. I don't know. I'm just trying to improvise. So we're gonna start over and let everybody introduce themselves and where they're from. Sorry, we had a technical difficulty. Please, my brother. Please start off. All right. Please start this off. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm uh, over at the Honeycomb Farms. Um, we are caregivers out of Maine, and we have a caregiver storefront, and we grow our own. All right, thank you very much. And we have uh, the gentleman number two. Matthew, my name is Matthew Gordon, and I'm from uh, Salem, Oregon. And uh, a real honor for me to be here. I created the strain Old Toby, it's a medical strain, and uh, developed a lot of uh, advanced breeding methods that are getting scientific recognition finally and, and overwhelming influence of people, you know, reaching out 
much. All right. Number three. My name is Andrew Wilkinson. I have a hemp farm in Taunton, Massachusetts. I started out last year as a vegetable farmer and then quickly realized after the farm bill that hemp is a lot more profitable than kale. So I switched into growing hemp and here we are now, uh, just a little shy of harvest, almost there. All right, all right. Nick? Um, I'm Danny Danko, I'm the Senior Cultivation Editor at High Times Magazine. I've been there almost 20 years now, uh, but I'm from here actually. Grew up here in Boston, started growing here, started smoking here, started uh, dealing here. <laughs> hey! <laughs> many, many, many moons ago. But uh, I've been coming to the Freedom Rally all my life. Uh, I love this event. It wasn't always like this. There was 300 arrests one year. Uh, so we've come a long way and basically I just want to encourage people to grow their own because Like I said, you get a better product if you grow your own and you have that right here in Massachusetts to grow your plants So there's no reason not to and it's not difficult. It's not something you need to do for profit uh, But if you want to do that too, you can but really head stash is what it's all about yeah, Absolutely, so uh, first of all Definitely got to put the plant first if you're going to decide to cultivate because the way you get a quality product is by putting all your effort into it and, and paying attention to it and checking on it every day and things like that. I also am the author of this book, Cannabis, A Beginner's Guide, because like I said, that everyone's afraid of corporate cannabis and all this and mids and all these things you're finding out there in the world. Uh, but the truth is you can grow your own and have a fine quality product for pennies to the dollar yep. and never have to buy cannabis again from anywhere. Uh, so that's kind of what I encourage people to do. Absolutely. So first of all, I just want to say I'm honored to be on this panel and to be at Freedom Rally. I've been coming here since, shit, I don't even know, since before I was 18 for sure. And uh, smoking weed in here and just being like, damn, it would be so cool to be speaking on one of those panels. And, you know, here we are. My name is uh, Adam Souza. I'm co-owner of Urban Acres, the, the hemp farm out in Taunton, Massachusetts. We're also a processor and manufacturer. And uh, we're trying to help the farmers. You know, farmers are out here having to sell uh, their land for uh, cheap and they're kind of getting ripped off or they're having to do 100 year leases on solar which is basically like, I'm gonna extort your great-grandchildren, which is awful, or they're making $400 an acre with corn when they could be making upwards of $30,000 an acre with hemp. So we're, he we're here to try to help save farming with hemp. Uh, such an amazing plan. Thank you. How are we doing, everybody? My name is Michael Marinello. I'm uh, born and raised in Trumpsford, Massachusetts. Lived there for 30 years. I'm a seven-year medical marijuana patient. Application and uh, homegrown, mass homegrown as well, organic homegrown, and uh, really yes. have a, a love for this plant. You know, everything you put into it is everything that that, that plant expresses. So you got to have, uh, you know, a really uh, organic growing style to have a good product promoted mm -hmm. of your uh, of your grow. Do we all grow organically here? You guys all? I definitely encourage people to do to replicate nature as closely as possible. And remember that you're not growing weight, you're not growing, you know, 
for you're not growing money you're growing essential oil terpenoids flavonoids and that's what you're growing you're producing that the, the, the essential oil of the flower so don't think of it in terms of ounces and pounds and things like that it's all about the turfs and the flavonoids and the essential oil the THC, cbd in the case of hemp this is just as important uh, to get that essential oil production not the weight of the oil that's important yeah a big part like it's not for the profit but as all of you know these dispensaries are extremely expensive and the quality really isn't even there like if you grow organically I have a hundred percent faith. Yeah. If you grow organically, I don't, holy shit, that's a lot louder. So does that mean you guys couldn't hear anything I said at all this whole time? No, we heard. Okay. So, oh yeah, you said don't be too loud though, because, all right, so I'll whisper. Um, shit, what was that saying? Stone or brain? We're talking about, uh, you know, growing oh, hemp yeah. and, and So it's a huge money saver. Even with your electric bill, once you figure out how to like tinker things in your own home grow, I take it for me. I, I helped my mom set up a home grow, and she was spending, I believe, two hundred dollars a month, basically between the electric and water. Two hundred dollars a month to basically have an unlimited supply of medicine is very, very inexpensive, considering it's like three hundred eighty dollars an ounce in dispensary. So, and for better quality stuff, because like I was saying, I don't know if you guys heard that, but I, I fully believe if you learn how to fully grow organic and grow your soil, that you could grow better than all of these dispensaries. No offense, if y'all listening. That's absolutely true. And in, in, my, in my travels, I've, I've visited probably many thousands of different grow rooms and grow spaces. And I can honestly tell you, one of the main things that I've learned is the bigger you go, the lower the quality. Yep. So these big 50, 100,000 square foot facilities uh, are not producing the quality that you can do yourself in a four by four tent. It's just not, it's not even comparable. One of the, one of the things, oh. You. One of the things, too, is uh, with the 12 plant count, you know, everybody feels really limited by it. One of the things that I, I figured out um, to kind of mitigate that a little bit and be able to uh, harvest every five weeks or so is to instead of doing a six and six run, you do two, three and three runs. So that way you're still at your 12 plant limit, but you have two different runs going at different times. So that way you can harvest the whole crop, you know, every five weeks or so. And for home growers, that's like the only thing I could find for like a loop around around this 12 plant limit. Well, also keep in mind the limit is on the amount of plants, not on the size of those plants. Yep. So you can veg those plants for longer and keep them in larger containers and build up a bigger root system so that you get more off of each plant. You just have to have a longer vegetative time and a larger container. Uh, but you can grow one plant and grow pounds off of it if you train it and if you have a long vegetative period and allow that plant to grow big enough to grow that much flower once you start flowering. And you know, while we're on that topic of uh, a plant count limit, uh, if, you're, if you're like a nerd and you really, really dig the whole breeding aspect and kind of making your own strains, that's what's really fascinating with cannabis is because it's dioecious. And basically that's just a fancy way of saying that there's a male plant and there's a female plant. And when you cross the pollen from a male into a female, you get a beautiful diversification of all of those mm, genetics within those, within those cultivars. So with a 12 plant count, that kind of limits you a little bit, unless you, do, mm. you grow large plants and you incorporate grafting. 
So with grafting, you can take several different varieties and graft them onto a single plant. So you can have four, five, six cultivars on a single plant. And that just exponentially increases your um, breeding diversity. I think another essential uh, to follow up with
Adam, can you hear me? Adam, can you hear me? Huge issue. I've, I've done that before. There, there is a fine line with cannabis of 
you don't want to water too much they, because then they get lazy, right? The roots, they want to find water. If you're constantly giving them water, they're just going to stay where they are. But if they have to search for that water a little bit, they're going to spread, thus making your plant bigger. Like for us, uh, we're only on a tenth of an acre this year with our hemp farm. We have 140 plants on there. We water probably once every other week. And that sounds insane, right? But one, we've had a really great growing season. I'm not knocking on wood because every time I do that, something bad happens. So I'm doing the opposite now. But we've had an amazing growing season. The rain gods have been great to us. So, you know, that's awesome. But at the same time, we build our soil with microbes. So these microbes are constantly just breaking things down or organic matter down, constantly having a nutrient source and, you know, having great soil, like Andrew was saying. The drainage is great on it for outdoor growing. Um, now for indoor growing, there it becomes a little harder with, with your watering, right? Because you don't want them to dry out completely because when the soil uh, dries out completely, you go to water, the water just comes right out or it takes you 25 minutes to water one plant. That's just not viable, right? So you gotta find uh, like that happy medium. For me, when I grew indoors, I had a schedule. So I would, I would water slash feed Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So Monday, I would typically water. Wednesday, I would feed. Friday, I would water a little heavier. It always got me there because like he was saying, my environment was, was spot on. 70 degrees, 40% humidity, great airflow, everything like that. So, you know, uh, don't overwater. I think that was my whole point. <laughs> oh, we're talking about mediums. That's totally... <laughs> Well, the reason I, the reason most people would tell you to go with uh, a soil, or what's really not actually typically soil indoors, it's actually a soilless medium uh, made of peat moss and yeah. you know perlite and things like that. Uh, it's more just more forgiving than hydroponics. Hydroponics has to be really dialed in. There's a lot of things you have to think about um, because you live and die by the reservoir when you're growing in hydroponics. So everything has to be dialed in pH, parts per million of your nutrient solution the temperature of the water, all these things that uh, when they're dialed in, you do get, you know, quick growth rates. Uh, but I don't think that's what anyone's looking for anymore. I think that's the underground mentality and uh, we don't have to think that way anymore. In fact, I don't even think indoors is the way to grow anymore. To be honest, if you're growing in bulk, uh, do that in a greenhouse where you get the best of both worlds. You get the sunshine when you've got it, uh, you can control the environment, uh, you don't get the dust and the rain and the wind and all that of outdoor, but you do get the sun and it's free. Uh, it's a big grow light in the sky that you can take advantage of. The best grow light. And if you could do light deprivation uh, with the greenhouse and you can do light supplementation inside the greenhouse when, when it's overcast or you want more light to be hitting your plants, you have all those options and opportunities. And I think that's the future of growing, to be honest. I think there's no reason to grow indoors anymore uh, with all the... HVACs and all the cost of the electricity for all the lighting and all the air conditioning. Uh, it's just, it's going to be cost prohibitive at some point as well because so many people are growing so big. I, I actually have a question for, for the panel. <clears throat> Danny brought something up just now that augmented lighting in greenhouses. Where I'm growing in Oregon, it's like one, to be honest, we got 200 days a year. It's too cloudy to produce bud at the end of the, at the, end of the, end of the flower season. So I want to get some LEDs that put in the greenhouse to augment. But honestly, I I don't know what the, what, there's so many new ones coming out, and even the rest of you, 
What's a good LED? Uh, there's, there's a lot of quality LED products out there. I really think that uh, ceramic metal halides are the light of this era right now because, yeah, ceramic metal halides are uh, more efficient than high-intensity discharge lights like uh, traditional metal halides or high-pressure sodium lighting. Um, and yet, I mean, even in Washington, I think Seattle, they're, they're paying growers to convert from 1,000-watt uh, high-pressure sodium lights two uh, ceramic metal highlights that are like 630s or something like that. Um, but they're getting subsidies because it's saving so much electricity. Well, I um, want one bad. Thank you. <laughs> so so CFLs, I think, uh, there hasn't been a lot of innovation in lighting, and now there's been a lot in the last like five to ten years um, with LEDs, with fluorescence, and with ceramic metal highlights. Thanks for mentioning fluorescence still. It's, that's the overlooked light source, I think. But there's a lot of... Um, uh, Plasma comes out those good. They're plasma lights and such. They're pretty good. I've always liked um, fluorescent. I still, I mean, as far as rooting clones, there's nothing better than, than a bank of fluorescent lights. So, uh, utilizing supplemental light in the greenhouses, uh, at the end of at the end of cycles. I mean, we have a lot of problems up here. I uh, will up north where I'm at in, in the main area, and. Uh, Right now, actually, they have recently come out with a uh, double ceramic metal highlight that is uh, it's a high output uh, that, that's able to plug straight into your uh, double headed fixture to replace it. So that's one of the really good things. You can get the full benefits of having a high intensity with uh, your ceramic metal highlight uh, light, which is the white light. It's one of the things that we're looking for for the cross right at the end. Yeah, before we move, move on, I want to talk a little bit more about light depth. And some some might ask, well, why why would you select to use light depth? Uh, well, you can extend the season. That's really huge. You can prevent plants from going into flower and whatnot. But another big thing is quality. So if you can use the power of the sun and get the same indoor quality outside. And the way that you do that, some studies have been done, and Ed Rosenthal quotes this, that there's a direct correlation between UVB rays and cannabinoid production. And if you look at around this area, you'll find that the UVB peaks at midsummer. So if you light depth just before then so that you're in peak flower during the middle of the summer, your outdoor grow is going to rival that of an indoor production. But with a lot more yield. The spectrum of the sun is different in the summer than it is in the fall. It's as simple as that, right? I mean, uh, the intensity of, of light in summer is more intense, and that's like plain as day. Uh, and yet, you know, people kind of don't understand that, that that's going to have an effect on cannabinoids and resin production on essential oil and the quality and the, the amount of that that's produced. So uh, that is like one of the main major benefits. But think about the other benefit of you know, not getting powdery mildew in the fall, not getting yes. uh, all the issues that come with fall weather in New England. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Avoiding or in Northern history. California or anywhere else you happen to be growing. I mean, any, any anywhere uh, and around the 45th parallel, right? Yeah. Anywhere around the 45th parallel. But what do you think, Jeff? Yeah. Well, well in so, some places you do light supplementation instead. In Colombia or in Jamaica, they get, they're just 12-12 all the time. 
So they do light supplementation to keep their plants vegging so that they can get bigger plants. And then they just stop lighting them and they flower automatically because they just have a flowering cycle for, for a light schedule. Cheat code. You know? Yeah. Right. So, uh, but also light depth, the original, fat, you know, NorCal, you know, founders of light depth technology did it to beat the cops and the rippers too, not just the weather. So an, another thing that I was just thinking about up here, like uh, pests, how do we manage pests, right? And I feel like this guy might know some things about it. All right, so yeah, IBM is a huge, uh, huge aspect of growing when, uh, you know, you really don't want to spray anything on your plants. So, you know, being up on top of them at all times and, you know, actually looking at them and seeing what's happening to them, if it's changing, you know, a leaf color and because it has an aphid on it, or, you know, you can flip your leaf over and actually stare at it. And, you know, some of these bugs really don't even need a microscope, but you can see them with your plain eyes. And if anyone's growing outdoors this year, you're, you know, there's a, there's a huge chance you're going to have some sort of pest that you're going to come in, in contact with, whether it's caterpillars, uh, you know, butterflies lay their eggs on top of uh, plants, and usually they lay them in the same area every year. So they're going to drop these eggs. And I mean, if you, you can actually look at these eggs on top of your plants, and if you can remove them before and be on top of it, that's one thing. But if any of those caterpillars hatch, they're going to start going down your buds. They're going to eat inside. They're going to lay feces, and that's where your bud rot's going to start from, and which is your botrytis. And then you really got to uh, chop your whole plant down within days because it's going to spread, and you don't want to smoke mold or any sort of any of that. So there's ways to stop it, but there's still, you know, to prevent it before. I mean, instead of spraying anything on your plants, it's beneficial insects. And uh, people use ladybugs are, are a good one. And, and you can go to the more predatory uh, insects, like a, a Cyrus insidious, which is a new pirate bug, lace that will, uh, or a lacewing as well. And they, there's Californicus works, and uh, there's just so many different ones that you can use for different pests. And uh, you know, it's really being on top of your plants first and seeing what's going on to know how to actually attack it, instead of just uh, running to your local Home Depot and, and grabbing some bear and spraying it on your plants while you're in flower and then smoking it in four weeks and I know I don't want to do that, and I no don't recommend out. anyone doing that. And uh, no. trying to prevent that and educate people is the biggest thing because, you know, even if you're spraying something on your plants and your neighbor's growing next door, there's a little thing called wind. And wind can bring things away. And uh, another topic we can top on is how there's crop dusting uh, for Triple E everywhere. But that's, uh, you know, the second year we're allowed to grow hemp in Massachusetts. I don't know. <laughs> to get into that's another thing. If you, uh, you have Andrew all over your place. Uh, I don't know if that's still going to be on there, but no. we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, it's a lesson people learn the hard way that prevention is a lot easier than treatment when it comes to pests. Just checking the underside of the leaves, checking the surface of your medium uh, constantly, and not just checking one plant, but checking the one in the back corner. Uh, you know, they, that's where they're going to start their attack. Uh, take off dead and dying leaves from your plant get rid of them. Don't just take them off and throw them on the ground. I can't tell you how many dirty grow rooms I've been in where there's dead leaves on the floor, uh, puddles of water, things like that are an invitation for bugs. Uh, yellow leaves are an invitation for bugs. Take them off uh, and compost them. Get rid of them. Don't just leave them around. The reason that the sticky traps are yellow is because bugs are attracted to that color because it's the color of decay of a dying plant. And that's where they know they can attack from. And that's where they set up shop. 
and then they attack the rest of your plants from there. So get rid of that and you prevent them instead of then having to deal with an actual infestation, which is a nightmare. A nightmare. Hey. Hey, before we get started, uh, I hate to cut you off, but we found a wallet. Is there uh Will Bruner? Bruner? Wentworth student? If anybody knows Will Bruner, tell him to come up here and see me. Will Bruner, there's also a lost and found for, for Hempfest as well. So we oh, can, there is. Yeah, we can get it to they one of the tell me that. We okay. can get it to one of the volunteers. We'll get it to the we'll get it to the um Specific terpene and cannabinoid profiles um, is a 
Dr. Seth got his 14% CBG and 8% flowering and um, a bunch of good CBD strains and even a 3% CBC. And so and Mark Lewis is working with um, Russo and they've got some 8 and 10 self-seed generation plants that are highly, highly homozygous and stable, which is <clears throat> the gene frequencies for the desired traits are pop up and they were able to use lab testing to create very to maintain very specific terpenes in the plant from all the way down and make a very high level of homozygosity. So they're doing those tests this year with GW Pharmaceutical. I hope nobody boos. I, I mean, but that they're doing so anyway. It's, it's really exciting to be able to bring that little taste to the table. But um, I'm, I'm kind of, as far as growing, I'm kind of the oddball. But well, Danny likes how I grow. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, we, we talked about mistakes uh, that growers make, but let's talk about like harvest and, and processing because I think a lot of people make their mistakes there as well. Mm -hmm. Starting with harvesting too early, you know, a lot of stuff comes in a little premature, and then also just how they dry and cure their product and even store. Yeah, curing is everything. Like you could do the best job ever and then mess up your cure and your weed's gonna suck it's just that way like you could you could get basically get rid of all your terpenes if you if you uh cure it the wrong way and dry it the wrong way you could introduce molds and mildews and bacterias to it uh you know i i don't know about you guys but my my way to dry and cure is in complete darkness i don't put a fan directly on it because in my experience it dries it too quickly um i put it under it so it just has airflow hitting the wall behind it coming up over it and usually, you know, in, in 10 to 14 days at most, I'm ready to throw them into jars. And within a week of that, I'm smoking some top shelf cannabis. And, you know, it's, it's just about controlling your environment again with, with growing. With indoor growing, that's like the hardest thing. You got to keep things clean. Like our farm, we pluck off leaves as long as they don't, they're not like any kind of pests or anything. We just throw them on the ground. Guess what? We have compost. <laughs> now we have nutrients going to our soil. It's great. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit different. Um, and then, you know, going back what you were talking about with genetics, Andrew and I are really excited about uh, the future for one-to-one -one because the hemp strains that we have are so close to the original cannabis strains. Like they're only two to three generations away from the original cannabis strains. Um, I don't know why. Oh, N Nepalese is one of them. And then uh, G13, one of the, the original CBD strain, is also one of them. So Andy's Andy's our genetic guy. Uh, let's, can, we, can I talk to you after the? Absolutely. Oh, well, I'm, thank you so much. The colder, the better when you're drying as well, like drying and curing, because ter terpenes, these those essential oils that come off. The, the fact that you're even smelling cannabis in the air is that the yep. some of that is the terpenes leaving the plant at high temperatures. Um, so the cooler, the better when you're, when you're drying and curing, it's really important. And a lot of people don't realize how much water is coming off of the plant either. It's like 75% of the weight, uh, in water is coming off, uh, into the air. So depending on where you live, that can be a problem, uh, that you have to solve with the dehumidifier in some places they need to add humidifiers because in places like Colorado, where it's just so dry, things happen too quickly and they have to slow the process down. In Northern California, it happens too slowly and they have to speed it up. 
So it's about controlling environment when you're growing and after you harvest as well, because uh, you don't want those terpenes and flavonoids to be leaving the, the plant. Yeah. And I, I had a comment to make on that too. Um, and um, if different, different strains are different too. Like some strains are so encapsulated in trichomes that you've got to dry them quicker. And then, um, so each, even for drying, keep in mind different genetics are but are, are going to have different, slightly different requirements. But I talked to a gentleman today that um, they're doing 24 hour freeze quick dry method. And right. I, the stuff I saw looked like candy. I mean, it was like, and I said, man, this stuff could be a couple months old, but it was like it was big yesterday, mm -hmm. stick to the wall. He's like, yeah, I gave it to me six weeks ago, you know? So um, I'm, I think that in the very near future, there's going to be highly advanced, I guess there's a machine. There's definitely this harvest, right? And there's cryocure. There's freeze, freeze drying is definitely a thing that's happening. Uh, it's ex it's an expensive process. Uh, it's an expensive machine to buy. Flash um, freezing is a little bit less expensive. Right. Flash freezing is also, uh, and hash makers also love this. I know there's a hash panel later, so we won't go too much into that. But the extract artists, they don't care if the plant is cured at all. I mean, they don't need it cured. They need it fresh frozen, right? I don't need it fresh frozen. Do you like a cured plant? For uh, it's a lot easier to actually, when, when you go into the post-harvest for uh, for extractors, to just have it at least dry, for like 90% dry. And it's, it's a lot easier of a pack compared to...